Hi everyone. Hi everyone. Today we're going to cover a very interesting chapter, Genesis 18. Abraham meets these mysterious visitors, three men, in verse 2, while he is resting by his tent by a cluster of trees at Mamre. So who are they? Some scholars have speculated they were three men, that is the Trinity, God incarnate. But of course, that is somewhat of a forced interpretation. If you go to chapter 19, we read of two angels, so it could very well be God and two of his messengers. But that too is speculative. Point is that God revealed himself in this story and there, there is an aspect of God that is hidden. We are not clear how God revealed himself. Now verses 3 through 8, we see Abraham scrambling to be a hospitable host. Of course, in the ancient Near Eastern world, this would not be strange. The host was responsible for their guests' needs, safety, as long as the guests remained under their roof. So they are given food. Now, does that mean God consumes food? Point is not to speculate on how God appeared incognito, but more of the dialogue here. In verse 9, they say, Where is Sarah your wife? This is reminiscent of God's questions first to Adam, Where are you? Then to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Um, and it's meant to elicit more than literally the location, but the underlining issue in all these questions seem to be the issue of trust. Will they trust God or will they choose to respond in practical ways, not considering the possibility of how God's response sits outside of their probability structure? So what is the issue here? It's The issue is of Abraham's offspring. God says, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So by verse 10, there is a recognition that this is the Lord. This is an astounding promise given to her in her advanced age. It really is a miraculous pronouncement. But will Abraham and Sarah be open to this new possibility which sits outside of their reasonable expectations given their age? Is it possible that God is capable of their miraculous? And of course the answer is yes. Given that God is a supernatural being and yet isn't there also an immediate dismissal or resistance to believe. Verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She laughs. It's probably like a mocking, resistance sort of laugh. She does not even allow herself to believe this even for an instance. So I want to ask you, have there been moments where God's word and what he promises outdistances your ability to receive it? And that's the scandal and difficulty of faith. Faith is not a reasonable act which fits our normal scheme of life and perception. The promise of the gospel does not go in line with our conventional wisdom either. Jesus' words, if you remember in John 3, that you will not perish but have eternal life, that there will be a new birth in his conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus' response is just as incredulous as Sarah's. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus' response is, it's mysterious, but just trust in his words. Now, this is not blind faith. There is good reason to trust in the credibility of God's word. But it's when we get down to the specific that it strikes us as so astounding. It shatters our timeline and what we consider within reason. The promise of the gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom that is easily accommodated to everything else. The embrace of this radical gospel requires a shattering of accepted norms and an embracing of the possibility of the supernatural. So then what has God promised you that you have a hard time accepting? You might think health issues in my family's life or my non-Christian parents or siblings, can they ever become Christian? Maybe your relationship with your parents are tense because of your commitment to God and you can't imagine that ever getting restored. What has been your response when things are deeply disappointing in your life? Ministry hasn't worked out. You realize you're not that awesome. The career paths have been closed. Relationally, it's been a struggle. Marriage prospects are drying out. In other words, when life 
uh, just happens as it did for Sarah? What is your response when God says, I know your situation and will address it? And then uh, there will be newness to whatever you have accepted as normal. Have you responded in trust that God is sovereign and he will redeem your situation somehow? Or have you, like Sarah, already dismissed God's promise as folly? God says, where is Sarah? As in, where is she at in terms of her faith? So how would you respond to that question? Verse 14, we read, Is anything too hard for the Lord? That is an open question we must answer, and it's a fundamental question that is found throughout the Bible. And how we answer that determines what kind of life trajectory we will ultimately be on. We must learn to trust in God, and often that trust is not immediately rewarded with some instant answer to our prayer. God says, At the appointed time, I will return to you. We don't know if that will be next week, next month, next year, or beyond, but let's learn to trust not accept the status quo as normal or never opening up your heart to the possibility that God could bring about some miraculous answer to your deepest needs. The gospel is about the miraculous possibility that sinners like you and I who deserve death have now been given amnesty and have taken on the righteous standing of Jesus. So I want to exhort all of us to keep that as our main frame of reference whenever we find ourselves not believing in possibilities beyond our plausibility structure. Romans 4.21 says, Abraham, who was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Let's continue to reach out to God in faith, in our prayers, in our obedience to his word, knowing the sober thought, sobering thought that we can limit God's sovereign power when we, when we exhibit a lack of faith. And then the second part of this passage involves Sodom and Gomorrah and God's desire to judge the wicked. In verse 17, the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now that was found interesting. We assume that it is what God is about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, but it makes more sense in terms of God's grander plan of salvation here, given what he says about Abraham, that he will become a great nation and all the earth shall be blessed through him. So when he says, shall I unveil the salvation plan to the world, including the Gentiles, that there will be judgment for all sinners unless they come to know the salvation that the gospel brings. Like that's on the heart of God when he wants to unveil that to Abraham. So it's interesting that in the immediate, God is about to judge Sodom. But zooming out, it turns out there is a grander plan at work. And we too must understand this tension that God is working in our daily lives in the immediate, but also he's working at another plane. And the more we understand that, the more we make sense of the ups and downs and the current struggles that we go through as we carry out ministry, live life, and get perspective that God is at work on this kind of grand scale. So from verses 27 through 33, we have Abraham engaged in a dialogue with God. And perhaps this is a picture of how Abraham becomes a source of blessing and how we are sources of blessing by becoming intercessors. Now we intercede in prayer regarding another's eternal trajectory by praying for that student or family member who doesn't know God and asking God to have mercy and buy time so that they can come to know before judgment that is death comes. And of course our way of blessing others uh, in this way is more than just through prayer, but through all the ways that we do ministry, leading that person, for example, in Course 101, helping that person in their life, counseling them, and just loving them with their needs. Um, all this is how we become that blessing. So notice Abraham's appeal to God's mercy. We get a picture of God's mercy. God has every right to judge, and yet he stays judgment, all to give room for sinful man to repent. And so Though Sodom and Gomorrah is an ancient story about two cities 
which epitomize sin, we must remember that we are those sinful people. So whenever we just go on living, it's not because we're so righteous, but because we've been given that space to repent and restore our relationship with God. So in the end, even if 10 people are found righteous, God would spare the city. This is God's heart. This is how God has operated throughout biblical history. He spares a holy remnant, even in the midst of a predominantly sinful community. And the responsibility then is on the shoulders of those 10. And that's our responsibility as well. We have been saved and delivered from our sin through the gospel by His mercy. Let's not simply say, whew, that's great. I'm saved. I can live selfishly. But we are spared. We are given this new lease on life so that we can then transform the lives around us. So let's pray that in 2021, we can be such a holy remnant, whatever city we are in, whatever ministry that we are a part of, to then become that blessing that can bring about salvation to many. Amen. Amen. Okay, see you next time. Have a good day, guys.